0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 25 of the Hey Kerwin show. We have Matthias back in the house. Kaboom! Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. Good to have you back, Maddie. Thank you very much. It's good to He's be back. He's been over in land flirting Shh. with his Sheila. <laughs> True that. Yeah, I haven't touched a camera in a while. Yeah. Anyway, do you still know how to use a camera? Yeah, dude. You sure? I, had, I got, Did you see my before? I yeah, got. I used it when you were looking. Yeah, at I saw that. Signs. You looked a little shaky. You're like, Ooh, oh fuck. Okay, what is yeah. This? What am I doing? Yeah. First line question, line. Jessica Jabrul. Hey, Corin. Hey, Jess. What are the character characteristics of a high performer, and what are the steps to follow and the obstacles to overcome to become a master at high performance? Ooh. Okay, let's just look at the characteristics. Let's break this down. Characteristics of a high performer. Uh, someone who has a background in discipline. Someone who um, is, is very familiar with... structure. Because to me, structure and discipline are two. Like when you look at high performance, high performance, the basis of high performance is someone who has adhered to a series of structure with a level of discipline that has created habits that have become fundamentally ingrained within their personality and, and their life. Um, and when we look at you know high performance traits like for me sport you know the, the first place i go to is sport um it doesn't necessarily have to be just be sport it can be academic as well but for me now i'm looking for people who are mentally tough and also physically tough um and look to be an academic you can be quite mentally tough if you want to study for fucking 20 hours a day but like the real ultimate test of high performance to me is someone who has integrated the physical and the mental uh and also the talent you know, because it's one thing to be um, physical, physically physically tough. It's one thing to be mentally tough, uh, but it's another thing to be able to apply it to, you know, to a skill, to an area, to a talent uh, that gives you the ability to you know, really uh, express potential. And not just do something. Uh, and so for me, you know, I look for some people who've got a background in sport. I look for people who've got a background in the military. I look for people who've got a background. And I know martial arts is a sport, but martial arts, you know, again, it's something that is disciplined. It's something that is structured. And so for me, you know, um, you know, and so when I look hire people, Marin's a great example. Back, background in athletics. Uh, you know, we've had we've got a lot of people here. Background in dance. You know, dancers. That's a that's a fucking tough sport. Um, and by the way, not everyone in the team, you know, has a background in. Um, uh, like Matthias, as an example, he doesn't have a background. Got nothing. No, but you do. You're a gamer, you know, because Matthias has got a background in gaming at a very high level. He actually, you should see this dude play Noughts and Crosses. He's, um, he's the bomb. And uh, also, what is it? Space Invaders? No? Paperboy? No? Halo. He's a fucking Halo freak. But Matthias, you know, he's got a really strong background in, um, uh, you know, competitive, competitive uh, gaming, and so for me that was a very strong proposition because you know he can stay. He could. I'm going to assume that when you were in your your heyday of gaming, you could stay up until like three, four in the morning, morning gaming, right? Every day in high school. Boom. And so for me, that's this. Because a lot of people go, oh, these kids are wasting their fucking life playing video games. Now it's a professional sport, you know, where the top people are making 20, 30 million dollars a year. But it takes actually an enormous amount of discipline to stay up until four o'clock in the morning and actually play video games at a high level where you're literally competing in ridiculously high stress scenarios where you're dealing with high volumes of information. So, you know, that to me, they're the characteristics that I look for in a high performance. But the steps to get someone into high performance, Look, I think the, the steps really have to be, someone's got to want it, you've got to want it. You know, you can't actually, uh, ma- you can't make someone become a high performer. You can't push someone into high performance. They've got to want it. They've got to want, you know, whatever the outcome is, they've got to want it more than they don't. And I know that sounds very fucking cliche, but that's the reality of the situation. Because there's got to be a desire that is big enough, there's got to be a reason big enough that is linked to something emotional inside, to a value that enables people to push through when they don't want to. Because what I've observed about high performance, if people are doing something that they don't want to do, the moment it gets tough, or people, if people are doing something they're not emotionally involved in, not emotionally enrolled in, the moment things start to get tough, like either physically or mentally, they just go, ah, oh, fuck, this is just too hard. And they start to bail out and they start to throw their hands up. So you've got to want it because it's that want, it's that desire, it's that passion, like it's that, it's that integrity of the desire, and I mean the integrity of the desire that you want it so bad that you're willing to compromise on pain, that you're willing to compromise on physical pain, the mental pain, and the discomfort that comes with high performance. Um, you know, there's a great book that you can read called Drive, The Surprising Truth about what, you know, what really motivates us. And you know, one of the fundamentals of that book is learning how to you know, connect people with something that is internal. Because when you try and get people to be focusing on external rewards in, you know, in rewarding performance based on external rewards, their performance will always be directly linked to whatever the prize is. Whereas when you can fundamentally at the, you know, at the earliest age possible, link someone to an internal drive where they become so driven because of either the satisfaction that they feel or the benefits that they feel, or even in some cases is the levels of, you know, the high that they feel, oh man, I can't believe I did this, the dopings, endorphins, and dolphins and everything else that's attached to that emotional response. Now, that's where you're going to get the purest form of motivation, which is ultimately going to you know, allow someone to express, express their talent at the highest level. But in an environment where performance is key, you know, that's what's required. So for me, yeah, you can't make someone become a high performer. They've got to want it, uh, but there's got to be this internal, and I, look, I, I say bullshit to the whole DNA game. Like I've been listening to this a lot, like with people saying, it's got to be in your DNA. And I say, I say fucking bullshit. It does not have to be in your DNA. Because you know, one day you can wake up and be, fall in love with something that you've never realized that you loved before and then all of a sudden your whole life can completely change and you can become a raging success. So fuck the DNA argument. It's complete bullshit. If you want it bad enough, you've just got to find that thing. And that's why I think oftentimes, you know, you gotta tre- sometimes you've got to treat life like Baskin Robbins. Like, what have they got? 52 flavors? Yeah, because I had 48 jobs, right? And so for me, I I think life is like a fucking buffet. Life is like Baskin Robbins. You want to go and try every fucking ice cream that you can because, you know, sooner or later you go, oh yeah, this tastes good, oh, this tastes good. But sooner or later you'll taste one ice cream, and you go, oh, oh my God, this is the best ice cream I've ever had in my entire life. And it's at that point you go, oh, I am now an advocate for chocolate. I am now passionate. I'm now driven about fucking chocolate or rum and raisin. Oh, or white chocolate. Yeah, what did I have at fucking Messina the other day? It was, uh, it was no, it was uh, Fat Elvis. That was okay, but the one that was really good was it was a white chocolate white chocolate Cheesecake. salted caramel fucking yogurt thing. It was amazing. Anyway, I, I, I found a new zest for, for ice cream. But, uh, yeah, take that to the bank. How did we start with high performance and end up with ice cream? That's Well, I to know. me, it's Question for a, the next intrinsically station. linked. High performance and ice cream, come on. Just a follow-up question on that. Like why, what, like what are the benefits of high performance? Mm. The benefits of high performance is being able to um, achieve levels. Because you talked about mastery. you know, uh, high perf- with, If you're not high performance in anything, you're not going to... And you never achieve mastery anyway. But if you want to express levels of mastery, you're not going to achieve it unless you perform at the highest level possible. And so for me, you know, high performance um, you know, really is... What was your question again? And what are the benefits of high performance? Oh, the benefits of high performance, just so I wanna be on point with this, is like so many people, and I ask this question, who here, like whenever I do a seminar, I always ask this question, who here feels like on some level they're not expressing their full potential? And literally 90% of the hands in the room go up. And this is the benefit of high performance is you actually get to experience your potential. You know, and potential is where you, you get into those zones where you're like, holy shit, Oh my God, I'm, I didn't think I could do this. I'm better than I thought I was. Wow, I'm actually quite good at this. And so to me, high performance allows you to, exp- you can express potential without being a high performer. You can just be you know, naturally good at something. But when you get into the zones of high performance, you get to express your potential at the highest level, at the most inspirational level uh, for yourself, you know, for your family and your friends, but also for the people who are watching uh, and the community that you're surrounded with. So uh, massive benefits and you get ice cream. Love it, John Carpenter. Hey, John. Where and how do you find a good herd? Ah, the local zoo. Uh, Look, a good herd is relative to the behaviours that they demonstrate. And um, you know, I think to you, what you've got to look at is like to me, when it comes to herd, you've got to reverse engineer what you're looking for. And I know maybe this sounds a little bit clinical to selecting your friends, but uh, uh, you know, when the way to find a good herd is to find the people that are doing what it is that you want to do, or aspiring, or that are collaborating to do what it is that you want to do. You know, to me, um, you know, when it comes to a good herd, I'm looking for people that are, you know, driven uh, by a cause greater than just making money. I am, you know, I like when I look for a herd, I'm looking for people who are incredibly talented uh, in everything from create, like, creative, all the way through to even fucking, you know, accounts. Like, I just look for people who just uh, have incredible levels of talent. But I also look for people that that want more, but that want to be a part of more, but are also fundamentally are aiming for, striving for, going for more than just being average. Uh, and so for me, you know, I surround myself with people just like that because then uh, when I look around, first of all, I'm inspired because of the standard that is set. But at any time I think about like lowering my st- and look, I think about lowering my standard, uh, you know, time to time. But whenever I do, I literally think about everyone that I'm surrounded by. And I'm like, oh my God, how would that look to my other horses if I went and rolled in shit instead of rolling in, you know, clay? Uh, because horses sometimes roll in clay so that they don't get... Uh, Bitten by mosquitoes and stuff. Um, Horses are smart. So, you know, so, but to me, you know, I really do consider the effects of my behavior on the herd around me. And at an unconscious level, You know, when you behave in a way that is out of sync with the rest of the herd, they're going to come in and correct you for the good or for the bad. And so for me, when I'm looking for a herd, I'm looking for a herd that are running at the speed that I'm running at. But I'm also looking for herds that are running faster than me, you know, because I think we should all have multiple herds. You shouldn't just, you know, um, pin yourself down or narrow yourself down to one herd. You, You should be looking for multiple herds where you get different needs met. And that's like having an open social relationship whereby you don't just define yourself based on one social set. You know, you have multiple, I have multiple social sets. I have my, 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 you know, my, I have my herd in here with my team, which is like, don't tell anyone, but it's like my favorite herd. Uh, Then I have my herd with, uh, with with some of my family members, which is a, you know, it's a very, it's a much smaller herd, but it's a very different herd. I have a herd of uh, mates that I hang out with. I have a herd of clients that I hang out with. uh, And I have a herd in my community, like my community at large on, uh, on social media, like that's probably actually, if I'm really honest, you guys are my favorite herd. Come on. Uh, but, oh, I know, right? don't tell Matthias you'll get a little bit jealous. But, um, you know, but for me, it's by surrounding yourself uh, with people whereby the opposite behaviors of what you're trying to demonstrate aren't acceptable. And when they are dis- demonstrated, they get called out because that's what people do. Because if you're hanging around with a herd that don't aspire to success and you start demonstrating success related behaviors, you know, those herd members are gonna call you out and say, hey, What do you think you're doing working so hard? Hey, what do you think you're doing working on a Friday night and not coming out and hanging out? Hey, what do you think you're doing spending all this time doing this when you could be with me? Like, which is the equivalent of, hey, what do you think you're doing? Fucking going home early when you should be working a little bit harder. Hey, what do you think you're doing? You know, saying that when you should be saying this. Oh, you think you're not good enough? You're fucking good enough. Stop saying that shit. Say something else. You know, it's like, that's what a good herd will do. A good herd will call you out in the right direction. Uh, a bad herd will call you out in the wrong direction, but you're going to get called out either way. The question is, what direction do you want to be pulled? I'm so cool. I have a remote control for my heater. Whoopah. Tony Stark. I am in the building. Jarvis, turn the heater on. Next year. Bon Hayes. Bon Hayes. Hey, Cohen. Hey, Bon. Best way to control addiction. Mm. Deal with the underlying issues. Um, I guess, does he reference any type of addiction or is he just saying oh, no, addiction in general? Generally, just addiction. Ah. <sighs> Look, addiction is a neurological condition that typically results uh, as, a, as a range of environmental impacts that happen that affect the way the brain develops. Uh, some of those environmental impacts have everything to dealing with uh, you know, being exposed to trauma. Uh, Being exposed to physical pain, mental pain, different forms of abuse, Uh, even neglect and like uh, neglect and attunement and neglect, you know, a lot of people, when you hear the word neglect, they think, oh, you know, I was was, uh, left in in a cardboard box as a child. Neglect for some people, and this is really interesting, is literally in some cases not being hugged by a parent, you know, because there are enormous uh, physiological development that, that, that is, there is an enormous physiological developments that are triggered by physical touch, by uh, affection, by hugging, by kissing, by that, that, that interaction at, a, at, a, at a, an intimate level with, uh, you know, with your maternal figures or with mater- maternal figures or with your parents. Uh, and neglect in essence is a form of, you know, your parents might have loved you, but then maybe never hugged you as much as what you perhaps re- were required by, because we're mammals. You know, when you look at a fucking a zebra, when it gets born in the wild, or a giraffe, or any other form of mammal, when it's born, you know, naturally what the parents do is they go over and they, first of all, they eat the placenta because that is full of mineral rich, protein rich uh, to you know, re- essentially uh, remineralize and, and re-neutralize the, uh, uh, the being that's just gave birth. But then the mother it then is driven by biological instincts to lick all of the, um, the fluids off the, uh, off the child that's just been born or off the animal that's just been born. Uh, now, biologically, it's been driven to replenish itself, but also Mother Nature knows that the more physical touch, the licks, 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 the licks that actually activates the, uh, the, um, the uh, what do you fucking call it, yeah, the immune system, but it's the, um, the lymphatic system. Uh, which is the, under, you know, the underpinning immune system. So, you know, that, and that in itself, you know, has a huge impact on brain development. Uh, attunement. Attunement is as, as little as just looking into the eyes of your, of your child or having someone, a maternal or parental figure, looking into your eyes and connecting with you, deeply connecting with you, not just being present, but deeply connecting with you, you know? Um, so there are a whole range of factors that really affect the way that a brain develops. And when the brain develops in a different way, the blood starts to flow in different areas, and it means that we also have different different levels of neurotransmitters in the brain, different levels of dopamine, different levels of endorphins. Uh, and sometimes when we've experienced, you know, whether it be levels of uh, neglect or abuse or lacks of lack of affection or attunement, the, the brain develops in such a way where the dopamine levels aren't at a normal level. And so when you are exposed to a substance that gives you a rush of endorphins or gives you a rush of dopamine, your brain literally for, in many cases, the first time starts to feel normal. Okay, it starts to feel normal and then you start going, oh my God, this is amazing. And that's when you start going, oh, if I have this all the time, then I'll start to feel normal all the time. But then it becomes a dependence issue and then the biology gets thrown out. So the question was, how do we control addiction by dealing with the underlying issues. And so for me, you know, my addiction is rooted in you know everything from physical trauma, mental trauma. Uh, look, I, I, my mum was one of the most affectionate human beings on the planet. Um, so I definitely didn't get any form of like abusive neglect. But, you know, I certainly had some challenges growing up um, when it came to my environment. And as a result, my brain developed in a different way. And so for me now, the way I deal with my addiction is by you know, first of all being conscious of the emotions and the feelings that come up when the substance isn't present, and then doing the work, doing the personal work. And this is the key, how do you deal with addiction? You do the work, you do the work, you deal with the underlying issues, you deal with the underlying trauma, you deal with the underlying resentment that you perhaps feel to uh, a parent or a maternal figure or an authority figure that you know perhaps you know, triggered you or created the environments. You know, because if there's any resentment or any hate or any, you know, angst that you're experiencing or that you're holding on to, then that, sh- that shit's just poison. You know, um, a Buddha said something really smart, something to the effect of, you know, if you, ho- if you, if you hold on to resentment, um, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of trying to uh, drink poison in the hope of hurting someone else. He was smarter than me. He made it sound a lot better than me, but that was basically the equivalent. And so for me... You know, um, you know, and I'm, I'm very much, you know, someone who is an advocate of um, developing levels of awareness so that you know where your addictions are. Because by the way, addiction to me, it's, although it's a neurological condition, to me it's a spectrum. And everybody, every single one of you, uh, regardless of your situation or where you think you are, is on the spectrum. The question is, at what level are you on the spectrum? So people who've experienced severe abuse, severe neglect, uh, severe trauma, you know, they'll be in most cases high on the spectrum as their brain develops in different ways, and they'll be in most cases, you know, really heavy, hardcore, you know, hardcore, hardcore, hardcore drug users. Whereas perhaps some people only experience mild levels of trauma or mild levels of neglect or mild levels of attunement. And so their addictions might be rooted in certain processes or certain behaviors like shopping or sex or, you know, even just, um, you know, maybe two glasses of wine every night. You know, because, by the way, two glasses of wine every night is enough to get you mildly mildly intoxicated. But if you need to have two glasses of wine every night and when you don't, you get a little bit grumpy, then there's an underlying level of addiction there. Uh, behavioral addictions, but anger is an addiction. Uh, you know, being in love is an addiction. There are so many these mild addictions and social addictions that we in our culture consider to just be normal behaviors, but they're actually spectrum you know, addiction spectrum related behaviors. Uh, There's a great book that was written by a guy called um, Gabor Matei called The Realms of the Hungry Ghost. Uh, and he deals with the hardest of the hardcore addicts and he talks a lot about you know, how addiction develops, how ADHD develops as a result of the brain and how it develops as a result of those issues, but also how ADHD is a predisposition for addiction, um, which is you know, something that we're only just learning about, which is, uh, gives us a lot of opportunity for those who have been early diagnosed with ADHD to start doing different kinds of work, different types of therapy, to perhaps you know, reduce the incidence of them you know, taking a path of addiction at some point in the future. But the base answer to the question is do the work, work on you, work on the issues, work on your triggers, the stuff that pisses you off, work on that, uh, because that, that therein lies uh, the key to your freedom. Beautiful, that's episode 20. Is that it? That's it. Is that it? Literally it. <sighs> episode 25 of that not a lightning round, hashtag Show. Question of the day, Seeing as though there was a little bit of a ooh, theme of addiction, what is the one thing that you can't live without? That like when you don't have it, that you can't live without? Maybe it's a, a toy, maybe it's a person, because we can be addicted to toys, we can be addicted to people. And I'm curious to know, what's the one thing that you are conscious of that you can't live without? Two, maybe it's a couple glasses of wine, maybe it's a beer, maybe it's beers just on Saturday nights. Maybe you have to get beers just on Saturday nights, but as long as you get beers on Saturday nights and... The world is good. What is the one thing that you can't live without? And also, let me know what your questions are. Hashtag Kerwin Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, following. everywhere. You can even spray paint the sign outside my office uh, with hashtag Hey Kerwin actually, no, don't do that. No, Saunders Street PM, don't do that. <laughs> What's your one thing you can't live without? Oh, the one thing I can't live without, what is my current addiction? Right now, it's it's meditation. Oh, look, my son, I just adore my son. I can't get enough of him. Uh, I want to eat his feet. Um, but right now, like I'm, I'm just so deep in my med, my, so deep in my meds right now. I'm so deep in my meditation right now. Uh, Um, so deep in my training. Um, yeah, I love my training, but my son, I can't live without my son, but I could, but yeah, I don't want to. That's episode 25 Five. of the Hey Cohen Show. Say hi to your for me. Thanks for listening to Hey Cohen. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Cohen on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.